Today's the State of the Church Address. Uh, a little over five years ago, we planted this church. Um, it was in a park, uh, Ballard Park, and there were 19 uh, sort of adults, adults and teenagers there then. And uh, uh, in, the, in the last four years, we've given sort of a State of the Church Address in November. But I was right in the middle of the marriage series there, and I didn't want to interrupt the flow. So I decided to go presidential this year, and we're going to do it in January. So here's the State of the Church Address. This is, we're going to look back at where we've been, where we've come from, what 2007 was like, and what's 2008 going to look like. More of the same in some areas, I hope so, or, or do we need to make some changes in some areas, I think so. And so we'll talk about that, where, where I believe we, where I hope we're going to go as a church, and in some cases, I, I believe that individual members of our congregation should take a look at our beliefs and our behavior in light of Scripture and, and maybe make some changes there, too. So that'll be for you to follow up on. Uh, if you take a look at the back of your bulletin, you'll find pretty much the, the doctrinal statements of this church. What, you go to a non-denominational church, what do you believe? Do you just believe whatever you feel like believing that month? Or do you believe uh, you know, whatever the leadership team is excited about this month? Or whatever, whatever's selling hot at the Christian bookstore? Uh, are we uh, the... Uh, the what would Jesus do church one year and the purpose-driven church the next year and the you know, whatever little bracelet they're selling this year, um, is that going to drive us? Or are we going to have foundational doctrinal statements that, that define what we believe? And, and we do. Uh, you can find them on the back of the bulletin. They're the great commandment and the great commission. In fact, uh, I found these notes as I was preparing for this. Uh, uh, these are the notes from my message January 26, 2003. So five years ago, I did pretty much the same message with the same scripture. So we're going to kind of, kind of update and see how we've done in the last five years. But uh, the great commandment is this. Someone came up to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment of all? And he said this, Matthew 22 is where you find it. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He gave them the two greatest commandments. And then in sort of his farewell address to the disciples, Jesus gave what we call the Great Commission. He said this in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, a little over five years ago, uh, as Walter and uh, Walter and I were talking, uh, we were ending our, our our period of service at one congregation and sort of examining our lives and examining our, uh, our our church experience. And we were able to identify some things that were wrong, but what we really needed was some direction for where to go, what was right. And and Scott Dixon brought us back a book from a trip to Miami. Uh, he got a copy for himself and one for each of us. Uh, by Rick Warren, and I know you've heard of the author. Uh, the book he gave us was called The Purpose Driven Church, and what followed that was the devotional book Purpose Driven Life. Many of you have um, read that, and it's become sort of the, the, the Christian bookstore. It was the, the fad of the year for a few years ago, right? But uh, we read this book in the fall of 2002, and we felt like that God used this to give us some direction. And what Rick Warren did was he took these two these scripture passages and distilled from them five basic purposes that he thinks a healthy church ought to be accomplishing. And not only that, but this isn't just a way to measure a healthy church. It's a way to measure a healthy disciple. 
each of us as, as Christians ought to, to see these five things happening in our lives as well. And let's take a look at them. The five purposes are worship. What's the greatest commandment? Love God. Service or ministry. Second greatest commandment, love your neighbor. Evangelism, make disciples. Fellowship, uh, baptize them. And, and Rick Warren saw that as initiation into the family, make them part of the family. And then discipleship, teach them what I've commanded you. And so these five purposes are, are, I believe, typical of a healthy church, and I also believe typical of a healthy disciple. And so personalize those. How are you doing? Are you a magnifier of his name? Are you a minister of his grace, a messenger of his love, a member of the family, a model of his character? Uh, those, those things ought to apply to each of us individually and to us, this congregation corporately. And so for the last five years, we've used these, this list of purposes sort of as a report card. At elders' meetings, at leaders' meetings, we've, we've looked at these five purposes and asked, how are we doing? And so that's what I'm going to do today. Let's look back. How are we doing over the last five years at, these, at worship, at, at ministry, at evangelism, at fellowship, at discipleship? And in 2008, where do we hope to go? Are there changes that we need to make? Are there dreams or, or ambitions for the future that we want to accomplish? And I think we'll see some of each. Worship. By now, I hope you know that's more than just the singing that we do on Sunday morning. You know, we call this group the worship team, and we call the time before the big speech the worship. Um, and, and that's the worship time, and this is the teaching time, right? But uh, worship is much more than that. The Puritans believed that, that the very act of work was an act of worship, that work was a gift from God, and that we honor God and worship him through work. In Colossians, it says it's the Lord Christ you're serving. The Puritans believe that. I believe it, too. Uh, we worship God with our giving. Uh, with our, the way we give our time, the way we give our talents, the way we give our energy, and the way we give our money. That's one of the reasons. You know, we used to put the offering plate just back on the, the sound booth, the, the basket there, and, uh, and, and we didn't pass it. Uh, but now we have incorporated that into the worship time uh, because we believe it's an act of worship. It's, a, it's one of those times where we say, God, I believe you, I trust you, and this is what I'm going to do with my money because of that belief. It's an acknowledgment of God, and it's an act of worship. Um, we... We have an intercessory group that meets every week and prays systematically for the needs of this congregation. And I believe that's an act of worship. And I know it happens other times besides just the Tuesday night group. But, uh, you know, when we take our concerns to God, when we, when we, when instead of being anxious, we give thanks to God and, and take our cares to him, that's, that's an act of worship. Any act of simple obedience to God, I believe, is an act of worship. And so it's much more than just singing the songs on Sunday morning, right? Um, where are we going to go? Uh, I've had a dream for quite a while of adding an evening service. Uh, now, I realize on the heels of 2007, uh, <laughs> I'm already getting some heckling from the leadership team, I know. Uh, I've, uh, and, and I had an uphill climb getting the second service on Sunday morning, and I know after this past year, 2007, we had, a, we had some pretty light uh, uh, first services. Uh, and so you might think that, uh, well, gosh, the, the early service on Sunday morning is barely viable. What are you talking about, a third service? Well, I don't know if this is a long-term dream or a short-term dream, but it's a dream. It's there. And so, you know, if it's not Holy Spirit-driven, it'll die. And if it's not supported by this congregation, it just won't happen. So, uh, so I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, it, it's a dream of mine. Ministry. Uh, go back to the bulletin. Um, if you look at the middle part of the bulletin, you'll find a list of six ministries, two of them foreign missionary groups, and four of them more local. 
And these are ministries that we routinely and systematically support. We pray for them every week, and we send them money every month. And we send them, you know, it's, we're a small congregation, so it's a small check. But uh, to each of the groups on here, we send them, we send them something every month so they can count on it, so they can budget with it. And uh, um, it's not the same amount to, to every group on there, but it's, it's something. And our commitment as a church, um, we believe that tithing is a, a, a good basic place to start with giving. We believe that for us individually, and we believe that for the church corporately. Don't believe it's an ending place. It's not like an Old Testament tax. Uh, we believe it's a, a baseline place to start. And so as a, as a church, for, for all five years, we have committed to, to, of the tithes and offerings we receive and collect each year, to give back at least 10% of that somewhere else, to send it to another ministry. And so those six ministries are recipients of that, and then there's another part of that that's sort of a, a discretionary benevolence fund that goes to needs as we see them, uh, oftentimes in the congregation, sometimes out of the congregation. If you want to know the details on, the, on you know, who gets how much money, uh, we'll have a business meeting probably around Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we, we have, it'll be sometime in the next quarter where we'll... Uh, you know, we'll have little pie charts, and we'll show you where all the money went last year. And so uh, you'll see. Now, the benevolence things, we won't, we won't identify individually who received those. But the ministries we routinely support, you'll be able to see who got how much money, where all that went. Um, other things are happening. Besides just throwing money at, at situations, we, we help in, in other ways. We, we have a routine visit to the nursing home. The next one's coming up on Saturday. We go every month. Um, a small group from the church does that. Um, we have um, uh, a number of our congregation have been involved in Habitat-style projects. In fact, some actually under the Habitat for Humanity umbrella. I know some people in the room today, I've, I've, I've seen you out there working on houses. We've done other things more in the church, kind of an in-reach thing, that weren't exactly Habitat, but more like a home makeover thing. Um, I, I, I don't want to mislead you. It's not like on the TV show where it turns into like a whole new house the day later. Uh, and, but, but we have had some success and we've, you know, I can remember going to a place that, that where both of the bathrooms were broken and we left at the end of the day and one of them was working again. So that's, that's major. You know, if you, if you got two broken bathrooms and uh, having one working again, that's a big help. And so, so we've been involved in situations where we could be a blessing and we've got more of that to come. Uh, Dave Bumstead's been involved in, in organizing some of that. And so, you know, I encourage you to be a part of it. It'll come up. I know one, we're going to do a little drywall thing coming up this month, uh, later this month. So if, you, if you'd like to be involved in that, let me know or let Dave know. Um, you've heard me talk about lifestyle evangelism. Uh, you know, in the, we often compare modernism and postmodernism. And oh, oh, I want to make sure... I don't have time to do a lengthy discussion of this, but if, like, if you listen to Christian radio, postmodern is used as kind of a synonym just for bad. And, uh, and I don't believe that. I, I believe it's different. Um, and, and I'll give you an example of where postmoderns, I think, would be on the right side of following God, following Jesus' example, and moderns would be not on the right side. Um, uh, postmodernism, the, the biggest rap against postmoderns is that they're cultural or morally relativistic, which is something that I, I don't believe the Bible teaches, but I believe the Bible does teach moral absolutes. But I'll give you an example of where, where we would do well, we modern age people in our 40s would do well to follow the uh, postmodern example. 
Um, lifestyle evangelism refers to a few different things, but uh, one example of it is when a young family will move their home into a troubled neighborhood in order to have an impact on their neighbors. Um, that's very much of a postmodern era thing. People my age, we, live in, we, we prefer to live in a gated community in the suburbs, go on a mission trip on Saturday and come back home where it's safe, Saturday afternoon. Um, yet it's, it's more of a postmodern thing to put your whole life where your mouth is, spiritually speaking, and to be involved in the community. The reason I mention that is to give an example. In this congregation in the last year, 2007, I've met nine foster kids um, who were the responsibility of two different women in our church who've taken them in. Now, five of them still are part of the Teresa Sprague's family. You know, she's actually adopted them, and they are her kids. Um, uh, the other foster mom in our congregation, she's had a couple, and they've, they've been moved and had a couple. Now she's got another one. But I've met four different kids uh, under her foster parenting. And here's what I want to say to, about that. This is putting your life where your mouth is uh, in terms of ministry and evangelism. You know, their lives are harder to make the lives of those children better. And that's, I mean, to me, that's the essence of Christ-like sacrifice. So, so I see it happening. I see it happening in individuals, and I'm not putting pressure on you to go move to the ghetto or, or, or to, um, to do whatever to take on you know, more kids in your family. But uh, when, when God moves on your heart to do something for somebody else and it's sacrificial, well, it's Christ-like. That's, that's what Jesus did. Here's what I'd like to do that we're not doing. I'd like to be involved in feeding programs. I'd like to be involved in somehow feeding the poor in our community. Um, we're, you know, we send money to places, and I think that's cool, but I'd like to actually get the blessing of seeing it happen. Uh, one of the reasons I, I, have, I, I would like for us to have a church building of our own is because I dream of, of, of a place where people will come to us and we'll feed them, uh, maybe as part of a Wednesday night service, maybe as part of a whatever, a soup kitchen-y sort of thing. I don't know. Um, I, that's, we don't have a building, so I'm just dreaming now. But uh, it's not just so we can build the institution. It's so we can minister more efficiently. Uh, but we don't have to wait for that. I've talked to Jason uh, about some opportunities for participating in feeding programs in the community, and I hope to see some of that happen in the coming year. I also would like to see, or I hope to see, or I dream of, uh, some involvement of this congregation in a prison ministry. That's not going to be for everybody. It's not going to be all the time. But I believe that... I, There'll be some people who hear me say that, and a handful of you will be lit up by that and think, oh, that's me. And if that's you, let's talk about it, because what, all we're waiting for is somebody to say, well, I'm ready to take the leadership in this, and then we're going to say, we'll make announcements, we'll put it in the bulletin. But that one's in the Bible. It's pretty easy. You know, Jesus said, I was in prison, and you visited me. And so, and, and, and he liked it when people did that and didn't like it when people didn't do that. And so, so that one's kind of an easy one to see. If a church isn't involved in somehow getting our hands in a prison ministry, I think we ought to aspire to that. And, and I do. I dream of that. Um, evangelism. Over the last few years, we've baptized a few people every summer at the beach party. It's not as many people as I would think, but I treasure, you know, I think the Lord treasures every one of those souls. I treasure every one of those souls. I kind of expected five years ago that more new people, no new believers would come to faith and that we'd get to see that happen. What we've mostly seen over the last five years is existing Christians changing churches and coming here, which, you know, we love you. We're glad you came, but... Uh, um, but what would be really exciting is see people who, who don't know the Lord come to, the, come to faith 
And, uh, and that happens more from, well, it, it's, we've struggled to find a way to do that. It's one of the reasons we do some of these community-oriented programs, like when we have a movie night. Partly we do that for fellowship, just for the fun of watching a movie, but another reason we do that is to give you an opportunity to invite people to this setting in a way that's where they can hang out with Christians and see that we're not as weird as the ones on TV. Uh, or they, it's, it's part of the reason that Walter does the, guitar, the free guitar lessons on Thursday. I mean, what a blessing to the community that people can show up here on Thursday night and get free guitar lessons. And, and we have many people who are part of that, who have been part of that, who aren't part of this church. And I think that's really cool. Most of them, I think, are part of a church somewhere else. But I think many of them have also been part of no church at all. And their first entry to church is we're giving them free guitar lessons. So I think that's a pretty cool thing. And so I would encourage you to look for opportunities like that. One of the ways we've, we've been involved in a variety of different styles of advertising, mostly they haven't worked, at least not all that effectively. We, we've done some radio advertising. We might do some more. Uh, we've done some print advertising, some newspaper advertising. We've hung things on doors. Um, that, that didn't work in a way that was more amusing than I thought. I mean, I know that you can't, you can't knock on doors and talk to strangers nowadays and expect them to say, oh, I'm so glad you came. You know, times are different now than, than they were when I was a kid. And I, I remember my mom didn't like that when I was a kid, but uh, people sure don't like it now. They consider it to be threatening, not all that friendly for a stranger to knock on their door. And I don't want to knock on strangers' doors. I know you don't either. Um, I thought it would be okay to put little door hanger invitations inviting people to church, and we, we printed out about 500 of those and passed them out inviting people to our Easter service. Uh, I think I told you the stats. We had one visitor and two neighborhood associations called us to complain that we were soliciting. So we're going to have to find another way to to advertise, but you know, word of mouth is the best way, but really just lifestyle evangelism, just living your life. One of the reasons we do series, where I'll, I'll announce like we're gonna start a new series, is to give, you, to give people in our congregation an opportunity to talk about what's happening at church, like we're starting this new thing. Um, like it won't be next week, but in a couple weeks we're gonna start a series on parables, uh, the parables of Jesus, and uh, we'll spend a few months on there. And I think it'd be an easy place to jump in anytime whenever a new series starts, I think that's a kind of a, an entrance ramp to the church where it's a good time to invite people. I feel like this has been a weakness of mine. Statistically speaking, evangelism is a gift of about 10% of Christians, which means 9 out of 10 of us don't really have the gift of evangelism, which would include me. I don't think I do. Um, but we're all called to be witnesses. We're not all called to be evangelists. So you know, just witnesses, what do we do? We describe what we've seen. We would describe what we've witnessed, what we've experienced. Evangelists, they're more aggressive. And, uh, and so how do we get better at that? I, I found this book uh, in Andrew's room. Rob Schwartz gave it to him several years ago. And it's called Living Proof by Jim Peterson. And the subtitle is Sharing the Gospel Naturally. And, and I'm going to read this this year. Um, and the reason I mention it to you is uh, I want to invite you to read it with me if you're interested. And so if you... If you if you'd like to read this one, just send me an email, let me know. Uh, we'll probably find a copy on Amazon or something like that. But uh, if two or three or six of you want to read this with me, uh, maybe we can find a time to meet and discuss it and do like a little book club thing. We've done that with other books in the past. Or if we can't find a convenient time to meet, maybe we can just do it electronically. We couldn't, uh, I hesitate to use the word blog because it sounds like I'm trying to be one of the cool kids. But, uh, uh, but I, you know, we could do it that way maybe. Uh, uh, but somehow, some way, I think we could communicate what we're reading and, and what it means to us. And uh, I'm going to read this whether you, anyone wants to or not. But it would know, be more fun if we read it together. I've done that with a few books. 
Like I read uh, McLaren's book, New Kind of Christian, at Jared's recommendation a few years ago, and I, that really opened my eyes to a couple things. And then we did a book club thing here on Wednesday night where we read Blue Like Jazz, and then a, a year or two ago, and then we read The Da Vinci Code to see what, uh, what all the hoopla was about. And uh, we, uh, uh, we discussed all that on a, on a Wednesday night. And so uh, maybe that's the right time uh, or maybe another time, but uh, we'll talk about it. If you're interested, let me know. Okay, well, we're going to revamp the website in the coming year. Uh, that's another way just to sort of create more access, I hope, uh, to the church. Um, and, and we might do radio ads with some of your voices on the radio instead of mine. Uh, and so maybe a little testimony about, you know, when I was a kid, I remember church being like this, but now the church I go to is like that, you know. And, and so I don't know. If, if that lights you up, send me an email, let me know. Maybe we'll uh, work on a script and uh, – when I taped the radio ad last fall, it was kind of a fun thing. Uh, I was really impressed with the equipment they used, and so it was kind of cool and exciting. And it's really not all that much money. Uh, and so maybe, we, maybe we'll adjust that. I haven't totally given up on that idea. Okay, i got to go faster. Fellowship. We do a lot of parties throughout the year. Valentine's party, the beach party. The, uh, the, we, we kind of morphed the uh, harvest party into an anniversary party. That went well. A really cool sign I saw in the last year is... Uh, you folks in the, what we call the young adult group, you've been coming to more of that stuff. And we really like seeing you. The people my age, we think it's really cool when people your age come uh, to all those things. For, for a couple years, we had what I call the young adult group. It's like it's the group Dave teaches on Sunday night it's, or th Thursday night. It's the group that's out of high school, but they haven't had kids yet. So you can be in your 30s and be part of this group. Uh, or you can, you, if, you're, if you're young and cool enough, I think you can still have kids and be part of the group. But... Uh, but in general, that's, that's kind of who it is. And so uh, uh, for years, you know, we'd see you guys on Sunday mornings and thrilled to see you on Sunday mornings, but really nowhere else. But that's changed some in the last year, and I think that's a really cool thing. Um, and so I just want to tell you, I celebrate that. The best sign of healthy fellowship I see in this church is how long it takes you to leave when church is over. And I think that's great. Uh, when I was a kid, I was bitter about this. My dad was on staff at a Baptist church, and I remember just nagging my dad, like, is it in your contract that you got to be the last guy to leave the building? Why are we staying here so long? I'm hungry and there's football on. Why do we have to, why are we still here? And yet, you know, our second service ends really close to noon, and we don't close the church. We don't lock it up until after one most Sundays. And that's because you guys seem to be having a good time hanging out with each other. And I think that's a beautiful thing. It's a healthy thing. It, it brings me joy to see that. Um, what are we going to do uh, to, uh, in the coming year? I'd sort of like to see us bring back the movie nights. Uh, we used to schedule them routinely and systematically. You know, it's a good place to watch a movie here. We've got a cool popcorn machine. Uh, last couple times we had them, um, we would schedule them uh, and then sort of lightly attend it, and that's okay. But what I'd like to do is rather than schedule them systematically, let's schedule them more organically this year. And what I mean by that is really any two families of you could make one of, this ha make one of these happen. If there's a movie you want to see and – instead of going out to see it this month, you know, wait a couple months till it comes out on DVD and we'll show it here for free, just you know, pretty much at your request. Almost any Friday night or Saturday night would be available to do it. And then uh, if two families of you want to come see it, then there'll probably be some others to join in. And I'll come make popcorn. And so uh, that's a good time to invite visitors, good time to invite people where it's not part of the... Uh, um, where, it's not, where people who are kind of afraid of church you know, might get to come hang out with us and see, see who we are. 
by the way, for those of you that are real concerned about integrity, I admire that. We do have the appropriate license to do that. Um, we learned the hard way that we weren't doing that right, and now we are doing that right. It's, it's much easier uh, than I would have thought to buy a license for, for showing movies like that. Okay. Oh, we're going to um, try to update or, or do a directory uh, so it's easier for you to get in touch with each other. Eventually, it would be cool to have photos uh, in a directory, but in the meantime, just a, an address list and an email list. And we'll probably pass it around a thing in the next couple of weeks so you can sign up for that. All right, the last purpose is discipleship. Discipleship's teaching. It's what happens here on Sunday morning. It happens a whole lot other times. It happens when I'm standing in front of you talking. It happens in the Sunday school rooms, which you've heard me say this a few times. We really upgraded in 2007. We have four pretty much permanent Sunday school teachers. When I say permanent, it doesn't mean they can't escape. It means they don't rotate. Um, it's their job until they ask out or until they move away. And, and, and I, the, uh, when I first proposed this idea, I, I take a lot of smug satisfaction in this. Because when I first proposed this idea, I got skepticism. And the skepticism was pretty much, it might have been Gina saying, uh, you'll never get four, four people to say yes to that. But we did. We got five people to say yes to that. And, uh, and my prayer was that there would be people who would take responsibility for the Sunday school classrooms as if they were theirs. And that it's happened, and it's happened excellently. It's good for the kid. It's good for the teacher. It's good for the program. Uh, the, we have two classes at two services, and it's, it's, it's being done this year better than ever before in the history of our church. And I'm excited um, about the way that's going. On Monday night, um, actually, the, the, I'm not sure the, the nights they've changed some, but the youth now meet on Monday night, and I'm not sure how permanent that is, but they're doing a crown study, which is a temporary study, but they get taught by Jared most of the time, Brian and Teresa this season. Uh, Dave teaches the young adults. Rick teaches an intercession group, which now they do more than pray on Tuesday nights. They actually do, uh, uh, do a Bible study on intercession. Uh, the women who are able to on Thursday morning meet and do a Bible study, they just finished Philippians. And so my point is discipleship happens a bunch of ways. Wednesday night we have a Bible study where we do sort of the essential 100s, like a greatest hits of the Bible uh, Bible study. I, I have plans for series for the uh, Sunday mornings. I'm going to do sort of an Old Testament prophet sandwich. I'm going to do an Old Testament prophet and then a lengthy series on parables and then another Old Testament prophet. Anybody know the shortest book in the Old Testament? <laughs> Good guess. It's Obadiah. Uh, it's a. Oh, I, that's clever. So we're going to do Obadiah uh, next Sunday. And we're going to start a series on parables that'll last for months, and then we're going to do another Old Testament prophet. And then I don't know where from there. You know, we'll be close to the end of 2008 by then. I'm thinking about another letter from Paul. I'm thinking about the Gospel of John. I've had a request to do. Um, a teaching on world religions and cults, but I'm thinking that's not so much a Sunday morning class as a uh, maybe a Wednesday night thing or some midweek kind of class. So if you're interested in that, let me know, and I'll, I'll see about scheduling around you. Um, we did a crown class in 2007. That's a financial management class, an outstanding class. Um, Morris and Diane have committed to lead the next version of that for adults, and they'll pretty much do it based upon popular demand. So maybe after today's message, you'll think, I need that crown study. Uh, just, just tell Morris and Diane or send them an email. When enough of you say, hey, when's that thing going to start, then it'll start. Uh, and so uh, we're going to do that in the, coming, in the coming year or two, I hope. So um, we're concerned about discipleship. I think 
I, I think we've got a team of people that are doing it uh, pretty well, uh, rather well, and I hope to continue more of the same. Okay, my dreams. Some of these are long-term, some of these are short-term, and some of them I've already mentioned. I think we should feed the poor. I think we should, go to, I think we should be involved in prisons. I'd like to see an evening service develop sometime, some way, some night. We'll talk about it more later. Um, I believe we're going to be called to church planting. Uh, I didn't invent that. A, a guy came to our church and said, I, I think God's called me to plant a church, and I want to kind of learn how to do it from hanging out with you guys and watching you guys. His name's Dave Bumstead. And so uh, um, I believe I have a responsibility to his congregation, his future congregation, to, to respond to him appropriately, to give him chances to grow and develop here. Uh, that's one of the reasons he spoke on Sunday. He's in seminary at Asbury. He's working on a Master of Divinity, and his ambition is to plant a church. Uh, so what are we going to do? We're going to help him. Uh, we're going to help him now, and we're going to help him then, and we're going to always help him. When Years from now, when the Dave Church is happening wherever it's happening, new members of his church are going to be like cousins of new members of this church because you know, we're all part of the family, and I, I, I'm excited about that. I'm proud of that, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I think it'll be part of the ongoing ministry of this church to help plant that church and maybe other churches to come. And it, it, it excites me to get to do that. And these, these next two are, I wouldn't say controversial exactly, but there's, there's room for differences of opinions here. Um, I'd like for us to buy a building. And I'm excited about the possibility that one day we'll have full-time staff. Um, now, I think we've had people come into this church who say, boy, I'm really glad you guys rent a little space in a shopping center instead of having your own building. And I'm really glad... The pastors work for a living instead of just pastoring the church. And, uh, you know, it's a nice small church. I like it that way. I feel more at home here. That's the way I want it. Um, I'm not really with you there. Uh, and uh, and here's, here's the reason I'm not. I, I believe God's called us to accomplish some purposes. I believe God has a plan for this community and for the body of Christ and for the kingdom of God in this community. And I think he's got a role for us to fill. And I think that sort of, I like it how it is, let's keep it this way, mentality, I think, frankly, I think it's kind of a selfish mentality. I think we're, ne we're going to need to make decisions that aren't based on our comfort, but are based on the benefit and blessing of people who aren't here right now. And that's, that's what I think we're called to do. So, and yet, I understand the tension on the other side. I, I mentioned this in the first service. Raise your hand if you know the word deconstructionism as it applies to postmodern criticism of today's church. All right, deconstructionism is, am I getting too academic here? <laughs> it's the idea that, all right, here's the legitimate expression of it. That as churches grow, they change from being families to corporations. I don't like that either. But I don't think the answer is to tear it down. And that's where I'm sort of quarreling with the postmodern idea. Jesus said, I will build my church. So it's happening. The question is, what's my appropriate role in it? Uh, to, to me, the answer to the problems of the church aren't to abandon the idea. It's to do it better, to do it more biblically, to do it like Jesus commanded. And so what about a building? I think there's sort of a myth um, that we can be we can go cheaper by renting than we can by buying. Um, you can get started easier by renting than buying. But over the long haul, I really feel like it's a better stewardship of the congregation's money, of God's money, 
to, to buy real estate rather than rent real estate, especially commercial real estate. I've learned the hard way over the last five years that uh, in commercial real estate, there's a, a thing called CAM, Common Area Maintenance, that in most commercial leases, like ours, is kind of a moving target. <laughs> and so we thought we knew what our lease payments would be, but we get sort of these mystery bills of once a quarter that, that are somehow connected to that CAM, and I, I understand it more than, than, I'm, than I'm letting on. But uh, my point is this, um, it's easy to get started, to start a church by renting some space, but over the long haul, we'll, use, we'll be able to operate more efficiently, waste less of God's money, and minister to the community more effectively if, if there's some property and a building that, that belongs to us. Now, it's okay with me if it doesn't look like a traditional church building. I don't really care what it looks like. I just want it to be effective for our purposes. And so... Uh, I think that's exciting. Um, full-time staff, one day. You know, I'm not in any hurry to get out of uh, teaching. I love teaching high school. It's, uh, it's fun for me. It's, it's really easy for me. I've been doing it for 20 years compared to doing this for five years. I have more confidence that I'm good at that than, than this. Fewer people tell me what I'm doing wrong uh, <laughs> at school. And so it's, uh, it's not like i got to get out of there. Yet I do believe that the ultimate call of God on my life is to pastor this church you know, for the rest of my life. And so I'm open to the transition in God's timing. I'm not in any big rush. I'm open to the transition in God's timing. But frankly, the church really can't afford me yet, which is a little bit sad because I don't really, I'm, I'm a high school, history teacher at a private school. I don't command the big bucks. You know, I dream of hiring Walter away from his job and... <laughs> If we can't afford me, we're not anywhere close to affording Walter. And so, uh, anyway, one day, I just think it would really be cool. And I know there are probably people in the room who think, oh, boy, if they were at this full time, they'd be bugging us and stuff. We just want to keep them occupied so they'll stay off our backs. Uh, again, I'm not really with you there. I, I think we have – I think God's called us to do something, and I'm not going to let money get in the way of answering God's call. But I, I believe that – there are things we can accomplish if we're faithful as a congregation uh, that God's called us to do. And God's going to get his work done. It, it might be easy to, to misread some of my words as pessimistic, but they're not at all. I believe God's called us to a purpose. He'll get it done whether we allow him to use us or not. Um, and I'm confident. And he's been faithful in this church. Um, he's been faithful to, to, to make it work at times where it didn't look to me like it made sense for it to work. Okay. Challenges. The last year, 2007, was the first year where we didn't grow in attendance and the first year where we didn't grow in giving out of five years. We went up and up and up and up and then slightly down. Now, we've done, I've done, uh, I've asked myself why. I've spent a good bit of time uh, studying this question, uh, sometimes because I wanted to, sometimes because I had to. And uh, I believe that this isn't the start of a new pattern. But I guess we'll find out in a year or two <laughs> if I stand in front of you next year and tell you the same thing. I think there were some – we had some awkward circumstances in the past year, and I don't think that we're starting a new pattern, but we'll see, won't we? Um, there are a couple things I want to address that I think specifically this congregation should take a look at. We have, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with the easier one first. We have a number of people over the last year who have attended this church regularly and would consider us to be your church, but haven't made the decision to become members of the church. 
I just want to invite you again to consider making that decision. If you Google, should I join a church? I did this this week. Should I join a church? If you Google it, you'll find this sort of debate. And, and obviously, the people who make the websites are for it. But I think their rationale is right. Um, I think Jesus said, I'll build a church. The, uh, the writings of Paul in the New Testament imply, especially when he's like um, writing back to churches that he planted, that there's a, a membership organization there. Like the discipline things he says, they would make no sense if they're not members, right? In Acts, they added to their number every day. Obviously, they were counting. Uh, they, they knew who they were. Here's what I believe it means. It's not so we can exploit you more and squeeze more out of you. But here's what I think membership means. It opens a two-way door of ministry. Uh, until you become a member of the church, we love you. You're welcome. We want to do what we can to love and serve you. But it's pretty much one way. And when you become a member, there's a door that comes back the other way of accountability and of service. Uh, and I'll give you a real practical example. We need help in the nursery. If you're not a member, we won't call you and ask. Uh, but if you are a member, you know, we'll say, hey, we need help in the nursery. Can you, can you fill a spot? And so that's, that, that's one of the things that means. The other thing where I feel like our church, and, and I'm, I'm, I always kind of stumble over my words and I get all awkward when I talk about this part because it's so uncomfortable for me. But over the last five years where I feel like our church has sort of dropped the ball, and that's in the area of giving. Now, God's been faithful. When we read that book by Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Church, he said there are three reasons people don't like to come to church. One is sermons are boring. Now, we do our best to combat that, but, you know, we've got to work with what we've got to play the hand you're dealt. You know, so uh, we, we work with that the best we can. Second, they're worried about their kids. And we do, we do the best we can to take good care of the kids, and I think we're doing that better than ever. Third is there's a reputation that churches have in modern American society that they're just out for your money. And I think we, we, can, we can thank the televangelists for that a little bit. Um, and then, you know, whenever a church misappropriates money or a church treasurer misappropriates money, boy, that's big news. Um, and that hurts us all. But we, I think, swung too far in the other direction to avoid that. And for years, we wouldn't talk about money. We wouldn't pass the plate. Um, there's this website... I looked at this week called Generous Giving, and I encourage you to go on the website because it's, 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 it's an interesting thing. I'll, I'll tell you about it in a minute. But one of the things on the website is how to get your pastor to talk about giving more. And evidently some of the people in our congregation might have been there because I've had several requests from people in our congregation. Would you talk about money more? And, and my point is this. I think we erred by going too far the other way. Jesus talked about money. You know, we don't want to be like the televangelists. We're not trying to manipulate you to build our kingdom. We're not, definitely not trying to manipulate you to get a Rolex. Uh, but on the other hand, if I neglect to teach what the Bible says about money, then I've neglected my duty to teach you what the Bible says because Jesus said a lot about money. In fact, we're going into a series on parables, <laughs> taste and see. Jesus had a lot to say about money, and we're going to see when we study the parables that a lot of, it, a lot of them are going to lead us to examine what we do with our time, with our talents, with our energy, with our money. And so um, we, we've got a challenge that we face with their building. The lease on this building expires May 31st, and the rent is likely to go up. Um, and, 
and yet it's questionable whether it's a good idea to continue to rent at this space. We had an offer from a company, a builder, who would like to build us a building and substantially cut the price of that building as a gift to the church, sort of a tax write-off for them. But as I looked at the numbers, not enough. Uh, the down payment they would want is a little out of our range. The monthly payment wouldn't be a wise thing for us to budget based upon the offerings we received over the last few years. I, mean, I, I believe in taking steps of faith, but we don't want to take reckless steps of faith. And a bank won't loan us money, or is going to loan us money based on our contribution history. And so it's not like, well, we've been receiving this much money. Let's sign a mortgage for this much. You know, that's, that doesn't make sense for us or for a bank. That's, that's a leap of recklessness, not a leap of faith. And yet, if, if this had been a tithing congregation over the last five years, we could have bought that building. And it's not over yet. You know, we, went, we told them, thank you for the generous offer, but we're not going to, uh, you know, we just, we, it's, it's beyond us. They're, they didn't quit talking to us. I think they were going to sharpen our pen, their pencils and maybe make us a better offer, uh, maybe, maybe sweeten the pot a little bit. So it's not out of the question. Uh, I would feel a little more responsible if I could tell you May 31st, the lease here expires, and I know where we're going to be on June 1st. It makes me a little uneasy to say, I'm not sure where we're going to be. Uh, but uh, I know God has a plan, and I'm excited about what that's going to be. So where are we going to finish? God's faithful. Are we going to be faithful as a congregation? Are you going to be faithful as individuals? That's the question. God's purposes will be accomplished. The question is for me, is he going to use me to do it? Is he going to use this congregation to do it? And my prayer is yes. Um, so New Year's resolutions. The statistics show that 6 to 7% of New Year's resolutions are kept. <laughs> so maybe, maybe why bother, right? Actually, I kept mine from last year. I made a resolution to be more careful with our schedule. I felt like I was dragging Jean around from one thing to another to the detriment of her health. And I, I made a resolution to be more careful about that, and I kept that one. I made a resolution this year about my own health. And uh, you can hold me accountable. I intend to keep that one. Ask me next month or two months from now how I'm doing at that, if you'd if you like to. Um, resolutions that uh, I'd encourage you to consider. Um, I'd encourage you to become a member of your church. I'd encourage you to examine your life against these five purposes and ask God, are you accomplishing them? I'd encourage you to make it habitual to attend a Sunday morning worship service. Now, I'm obviously speaking to people who are here, but we have a significant um, segment of our church congregation who mm, kind of rotate. <laughs> and so I'd encourage you to sort of take the question out of it and just you know, make it your habit to attend. I definitely, this is one thing I think our church, our, our congregation can improve, and this is really more along the lines of how to get the most out of your church experience. I'd encourage you to participate in a small group. The, the Sunday morning experience is not very interactive, and yet real fellowship, real relationships are formed in a much smaller setting. If you're not part of a small group of believers, I encourage you to find one. If not at this church, somewhere, but, but we have several opportunities here. I encourage you to regularly give at church, and I encourage you to give beyond what you regularly give at church elsewhere. Here's how I do this. We've talked about, I've used the word tithing, and maybe that's an inappropriate word because I've heard the argument back to me that tithing is an Old Testament thing, and I think, I think you're right about that. It was an old text, it was an, the, a system, pretty much a tax on the poorest Israelites in the Old Testament. And yet what I use it as now is sort of a baseline for me to make sure that I'm, I'm that, that I'm, I'm not being selfish. And so what my, my practice 
or what I believe I ought to do, and, and, and I panic and, and fail at this you know, from time to time, but what I believe I ought to do is, is give 10% of my income to the church routinely, and then beyond as I'm led, and I give to the little girl we met in Honduras, uh, we sponsor her, and uh, get high school kids writing me because they're going on a mission trip. I get several of those letters every year, and I try to send them 50 bucks or whatever. Um, but I don't take it out of my tithe when I do that. And why? Again, I can't give you chapter and verse on that. Why? Because I feel like God's called me to support the ministry of this church and that, 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 that I need to do that. And so that's my practice. And I encourage you to consider that. Discover and use your spiritual gifts. There's, we're talking about the same thing with time and with money. The idea that if I believe what the Bible says and do what the Bible's calling me to do, that's going to cost me. It's going to hurt me. It's hard for me to explain how this is true, but it is. You will never be more fulfilled in your life than when you say yes to God in those areas. Um, the American way of I've got to take care of myself or else I won't have enough leads to, to less satisfaction and a continued hunger. And the Jesus way of I'm, I'm willing to adopt a I'm willing to give of myself to answer God's call leads to more fulfillment than you could possibly imagine. One last resource I want to show you. Generousgiving.com, I think is what it's called. It listed 52 excuses people give for not giving. I thought I was going to finish early and have time to go through this. I, I, that shows how foolish my planning was. 52 excuses. I could have thought of like 10 or 15. So if you're still determined to not give to your church, Look on here, maybe you can find a better excuse than the one you've been using. But the, uh, what I encourage you to do is look on this website. I'll, I'll, I'll send it around an email or we'll publish it. Uh, and uh, find your favorite excuse and then see their biblical answer to it. And I think their answers, I read through them, I think they're pretty accurate. I don't think they're manipulative. I don't think they've taken scriptures out of context. I think they're right. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I feel like once again I've stumbled through this uh, trying to communicate your truth in a way that was accurate and not manipulative. Lord, I believe that you have called us to, uh, to make a difference here. And Lord, I thank you for the way you've used uh, uh, the people in this congregation to do that. And Lord, I ask that you would use me. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would show me changes I need to make. I ask that you would... Uh, Give me the grace to be bold enough to accomplish those. God, I ask that for every person here. Help us to make a difference in our, in our workplace, in our families, in our community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.